It's Monday, August 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The conversation about what to do about guns and mass shooters has intensified after two tragedies killed 31 in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio. The president has signaled that he wants to do something, but has offered no specifics and is getting warnings from the NRA to be careful or alienate his supporters. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for where the 2020 Democrats stand on guns and who is the front runner after the second round of debates. Next, a great story of how scorned women and a cop nicknamed Casanova caught the infamous Dine and Dash dater in Los Angeles. Paul Gonzalez would meet women on dating apps, invite them out to top restaurants for dinner, order lavish meals, and a lot of it too. Then he would excuse himself to the bathroom and never come back, leaving the women with the bill and full of embarrassment. Jeff Mache, writer and journalist, caught up with Paul Gonzalez and tells us what was going through his mind and why he did what he did. He said part of it was that only fine foods can make him feel better from his physical ailments. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm looking to do background checks. I think background checks are important. I don't want to put guns into the hands of mentally unstable people or people with rage or hate, sick people. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. The country is still reeling after these two mass shootings that we had, one in El Paso, Texas, and the other in Dayton, Ohio. They killed 31 people in total. And immediately after this stuff happens, you know, we delve into the backgrounds of the shooters. We check in with the local community and see how they're feeling and recovering from all this. And then comes the other discussion, the political discussion. What are we going to do about guns? What are we going to do to stop these mass shootings? And the president has signaled in some capacity that he's open to doing some type of action. The conversation has been revolving around expanding background checks and doing other things like red flag laws. It seems like a ban on assault weapons is kind of a non-starter. But the president is also getting a lot of pushback from gun lobbyists like the NRA saying don't do anything even on the background checks because your supporters aren't going to like this. That's right. I think we could at this point say President Trump indicated he was open to signing some gun-related legislation like background checks or red flag laws. He has not gone so far, I think, as to say he's advocated for them. He's not calling his members. He's not pushing his leadership. There's no sort of concerted effort to try to get this done, but he has sort of said to Congress, if you do it, I'll sign it. But you're right. He did get pushback from groups like the NRA. We know they are very powerful. We know that they have a direct line to the president and that they have convinced him to back away from such proposals in the past. And we may be seeing that again. The NRA had, in previous iterations, decades before, agreed on background checks. They've moved away from that position. There was some hope among some advocates and some Democrats that maybe they could again find some common ground on the issue of background checks. But really, the philosophy of the NRA has changed, and and they're just unrelenting and uh, unwilling to give any ground even on, on something that has overwhelming popular support at this point. Reporting has been saying that the president is calling lawmakers and certain aides and just asking, you know, what we should do, trying to get the temperature of everything. And there was one exchange that we're hearing from uh, Senator Joe Manchin of a conversation that he had with the president. And he was really pushing him, saying, you know, you need to stand up and say, I support a specific piece of legislation that's going to give your 
Republican Party members cover to support something like that. And it's not going to happen unless you support something. He's just kind of saying, I, I loosely would do something, but you guys got to come up with the bill and, and then I, I can sign something. But he needs to stand strong and do it. And, and Joe Manchin even brought up the example when you were against the bump stocks the NRA did not support you in that and you didn't take any hit on that. That's right. I think that's a, a pretty good example here where the president said he was in favor of banning bump stocks and that he was going to take the effort to do so. There was no loss of support. The NRA didn't go back some other Republican. So there's just little risk there for the president to cross one of his biggest supporters when you know that they're not going to go, they're not going to abandon you probably for something like that. So we'll still have to wait and see. Um, the conversation we understand he had with Manchin, um, and, and we also should note the president loves to call lawmakers. He does so all the time. This is a pretty regular practice of his, um, is an example of where lawmakers can sometimes influence the president and they can sometimes convince him to come along on efforts. And it's really a great example, too, where you see that Congress alone can't do something and the president alone can't do something. There needs to be cooperation and there needs to be a push from both sides uh, to get anything done really at all. Let's check in with the Democratic presidential candidates. All of them back extensive action on guns. Most of them back banning assault rifles. Most of them back expanded background checks. Most of them are behind red flag laws as well. Can you run through some of the plans that some of the 2020 presidential candidates have put forward so far? So if we look at the 2020 field, there is near total agreement in background checks and an assault weapon ban. There were a handful of candidates who were not on board with a complete ban of what they call assault weapons. So weapons that can sort of rapid fire, high capacity, uh, high velocity ammunition, things like the AR-15. Some of them have, have, almost all of them are on board now. There, there might be one holdout still uh, who hasn't made it quite clear where he is. So, so near universal agreement. We also see um, some different proposals uh, Vice President Joe Biden has uh, suggested a buyback program. This would be an effort to get many of those assault weapons off the streets. It has been criticized in the past as seizing guns. He would argue that it's offering people who don't want to keep them in their homes anymore the ability to turn them over so that the government can destroy them. Kamala Harris has argued that under the 1968 gun control law, the attorney general uh, under her would be able to ban the importation of all assault weapon style guns. And finally, we see some other proposals that have broad support, like Amy Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar wrote a bill that would ban the so-called boyfriend loophole. Uh, currently, if you are um, beat up your spouse and you're convicted of domestic abuse, you can no longer own a gun. But if you beat up your girlfriend and are convicted of domestic abuse, you can still own a gun. And it would, it would make the rules apply to both the same. The last thing I wanted to ask, just because with all of these things, uh, th these tragedies that happened, we couldn't really touch back and get a, a feel for what how the debates ended off. We did get some polls in after the debates had happened. Where does the field stand? Uh, it seems that Joe Biden is still the front runner. I think Elizabeth Warren seemed to be the winner of the last debates, but electability and everything, it still seems that Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are at the top. Yeah, we're seeing polls that show that two debates didn't really move the electorate that much. Joe Biden has held on to his front runner position. He's not ceding ground to his opponents, even after taking just an onslaught of attacks. We've seen Elizabeth Warren appearing to be surging. You know, she's gaining in the polls. 
She's gaining on Bernie Sanders, particularly if you look at her numbers in specific states instead of just the national numbers. Bernie Sanders has had a little bit of a better last week than he did the previous weeks. He looks like he's maybe recovering after slumping a bit. And Kamala Harris is still struggling. Uh, She has lost all of the bump she gained off of that first debate. In fact, our Reuters poll found her losing four points uh, between the end of the first debate and the end of the second debate. And then if we want to round out the top five, Mayor Buttigieg has just really plateaued at about eight or nine percent in most polls. Uh, He did really well. He had that surge in the beginning and he's been unable to get over that level and, and break into the into the top, into the double digits, really. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is a funny story, and we're all laughing about it now, but you've got to remember these are real victims. The women that he was taking out on dates were, uh, they were divorced. Some of them had, you know, three or four children. You know, they were looking for love. So they didn't have a lot of money. These weren't rich women that he was uh, taking advantage of. Joining us now is Jeff Mache, writer and journalist, contributor to The Daily Beast. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Great to talk to you again. Jeff, the last time you were with us, we talked about the McSting story and how this one cop stole millions of dollars from the McDonald's Monopoly game. It was a great story. We brought you back on to talk about the Dine and Dash dater. This was a man named Paul Gonzalez who was taking a lot of women out in the L.A. area, meeting them on dating apps, going out for high-priced dinners, ordering a ton of food, and then saying, oh, I got to get up. I got to go to the restroom or something, and then ditching them, leaving them there with the bill. The interesting thing that played out was that a lot of these women felt so embarrassed they would never really report it to police and the media got a hold of the story and then everything blew up. Tell us a little bit about the Dine and Dash dater. Well, Paul Gonzalez is one of the most original criminals I think I've ever investigated in the United States. Um, This is like a a weird, true crime culinary caper. Uh, So (laughs) I became aware of Gonzalez by watching television, there were news stories about this mystery man that was uh, tricking women into buying him dinner in the Los Angeles area. And it got me thinking, who is this guy and why is he doing this? Right. You got a chance to talk to him a couple times. Uh, I love the way you uh, wrote it in the article after talking to some of the women involved. He was a very good looking guy. He was uh, in shape. He had this dyed black hair. It was thick with gel, and he exuded this short guy energy. <laughs> yes, I did meet Paul a couple of times uh, in a Starbucks in Santa Monica, and, and wow, what what an interesting guy. I kind of felt a bit starstruck actually meeting Gonzalez for the first time because I'd seen his face in the in the newspapers and on television so many times, and and um, yeah, it was really interesting to to sit down with him for a couple of hours and, and find out where he was coming from. I mean, he was the perfect villain. I mean, anybody who does a dine and dash, much less leave a prospective date, uh, uh, somebody who who's there under the pretense thinking we're going to have a good time, possibly romance could spin off of that. And you dine and dash on somebody. I mean, that guy is a jerk. Funny enough, before we get into the meat of this story, you kind of got scammed by him, too. This was the most unbelievable thing that happened during the investigation. So I met I met Gonzalez and um, we went into a Starbucks. And the second time that we met, we went to the counter. And you got to remember, he's talking to a journalist here. Um, we went to the counter and he put his an empty coffee cup down on the counter and he asked for a free refill uh, which you get in starbucks if you've bought a drink earlier but 
the manager came out and said, look, I'm really sorry. This guy has bought no drinks today. He's not getting a <laughs> refund. So, and I was really embarrassed. And Paul had bounced off to go and find a seat. And it was really embarrassing. And I realized in that moment, I'd been dined and dashed. <laughs> and I, I found the, the ladies in the queue, the, the line behind me, right. were, were looking at me. Everyone was staring at me, so I quickly got my money out and I, I paid for his drink. So oh, in a wow. way, I was a victim too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get to, to the real investigation. Let's start off with how he was doing this. What was his MO and share some of the meal requests that he made, some of the, the dinners that he ordered. His MO was really simple. He'd meet women on dating apps like Bumble and Tinder and he would get them into a date as quickly as possible through flattery and uh, you know being nice to them. And then he'd take them to a, a fantastic restaurant, order the most expensive things he could, filet mignon, stuff like that, uh, usually an iced tea. And then just as he'd finished eating or just before he'd finished, he would get a phone call and excuse himself, disappear, and he would never come back leaving the woman with the bill. And then on the way out of the restaurant, he'd delete his dating app profile so that they could never find him again. Wow. Uh, in one of these uh, dates, he ordered a salad, chicken, fish, and two lobster tails on the side. And then after he finished all of that, he ordered two more lobster tails <laughs> and finished off with a chocolate souffle. So the guy could put the food away. Um, tell us about some of the women and how they felt throughout this, because it one, it's an embarrassing thing for it to happen to anybody. If you get stood up or much worse, obviously the dine and dash type of thing, they were left to foot the bill. And, and then this whole embarrassment thing sits in. That's why a lot of them didn't report this to the police initially. And that's why he was able to do this for so long. He was doing it for like three years or so. Well, this is a funny story, and we're all laughing about it now, but you've got to remember these are real victims. The women that he was taking out on dates were, uh, they were divorced. Some of them had, you know, three or four children. You know, they were looking for love. Many of them, uh, two of them were nurses, you know, emergency room nurses. So they didn't have a lot of money. These weren't rich women that he was uh, taking advantage of. So when he stings them for a $200 meal, it's going to hurt. So... Mostly the, the women, the main thing that they told me, they all said the same thing. They felt like it was something they did wrong when they were dined and dashed upon. That They felt, was it something I said? You know, they, they didn't know at that time that it was a scam. They thought that it was just a date gone wrong. And, you know, thanks to Detective Victor Cass at the, uh, the Pasadena Police Department, uh, he was able to, to bring Gonzalez to justice. Tell us about some of the news coverage that happened at the time, because this was an important part of the story. They, they really blew it up. I know Inside Edition got a bunch of uh, cracks at him. They found him at some point. You have anything to say to these women? Caught on camera, it's the guy known as the notorious Dine and Dash serial dater. You've been dining and dashing with women. You've been running out on the check. But another thing was happening, too. There was this stuff playing out on, like on social media also where... They were saying, well, what's the big deal? You know, women do this all the time. They'll set up dates and expect a guy to pay for the whole bill. So he kind of almost became this anti-hero to, uh, to a lot of people. Yeah, the, the Dine and Dash data became a, a national conversation. He was all over the news and everyone was having the same debate. Is what he is doing illegal? And hold on, some people said, haven't women been doing the same thing since time began, expecting the man to pay for dinner uh, on a first date? So there were a lot of uh, people on Paul's side. There were a lot of people saying, hold on, uh, the Dine and Dash data uh, maybe isn't so bad. 
Yeah, there was even uh, the some scientists at Azusa Pacific University examined the myth of the foodie call, which is which they found that twenty three to thirty three percent of women set up a date only for the purpose of getting a free meal. So, I mean, as you said, this kind of started this crazy conversation. But at the heart of it, this guy was a jerk pulling this move on all sorts of women. Tell us uh, how he finally was captured. Well, he was finally captured by uh, a very clever police detective called Victor Cass, who is a bit of a legend in in Pasadena for solving unusual crimes. And uh, Detective Cass, his nickname, I have to tell you, is Casanova, because <laughs> he too is an online data. So Casanova got to work and he was rounding up all of the, the victims, you know, getting them ready to give evidence. But the actual capturing of Gonzalez was a stroke of luck. Cass was minding his own business on foot patrol when Paul Gonzalez happened to walk past selling Lakers t-shirts, apparently, uh, to tourists. And he made the arrest then and there. And I think it was a big relief for a lot of the victims. Wow. Always the scammer. The last thing that I want to talk to you about is you got a chance to sit down with him. I mean, one of the funny things from his interrogation with police was said that he, you know, he said he was the victim of various physical ailments. Uh, including an injured back. And he claimed that he only felt better when he ate fine foods. And if he didn't eat this good food, he'd get weaker in both body and mind. I mean, <laughs> what a what a, yeah. <laughs> what a crazy thing to say at that point. But what was the the sense that you got of him when the, the times that you were able to sit down and actually talk to him? Tell us about who Paul Gonzalez, the man is. I mean, one of the things that he told me that really stuck with me was that he was the victim. You know, he felt that he had been conned by women that he'd met on the internet. He told me that they turned up and they looked 10 years older than the photograph that they presented, or perhaps they were more overweight. But I don't know how much of that is true. For a more detailed psychological evaluation, I, I know that Detective Cass spoke to Gonzalez's mother, who offered her own insight into her son's behavior. She said that, you know, he'd gone through this really messy breakup. he taken her divorce as a, when he was a child very badly and that he had these feelings of abandonment and one of the psychologists that I spoke to for the story actually mentioned that maybe for Gonzalez during those dine and dash dates he got to be the center of a woman's attention a desirable woman's attention for just one date and maybe that was what what drove him to do this in the end he was just sentenced to 120 days and ordered to pay $240 in restitution to two of the victims. You spoke to a lot of the women. What is their overall sense now that it's all said and done? How, how do they all feel at the end of it now? There was a lot of relief. There, there was a bit of a party atmosphere outside court when, when Gonzalez was sentenced. And I think eight of the, the victims from the witness stand went to happy hour and had a big celebration. So it was a, a happy ending. And all of those women who at one point said they would never online date again, uh, told me that they're back, uh, they're back online, they're back on the apps, and uh, many of them are, are dating again, and some of them have found happiness. Jeff Mache, writer, journalist, contributor to The Daily Beast, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Brooke Peterson and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.